Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people, with news, views and expert interviews. Hello, I'm Steve Randall and welcome to Constructive Voices for the first of our Focus on Female episodes. We're going to be hearing from some of those wonderful women who are making a difference in the construction industry and we'll also be continuing our conversation, of course, about biodiversity, climate change and various other things. Now, I'm going to... uh, introduce my co-host it's not pete the builder although he will be back very soon it's somebody you've heard doing various interviews on the podcast she's also the producer of constructive voices jackie de burka hiya steve i'm certainly not going to try and be pete even though i'm kind of semi taking his place today i wouldn't ever try and do that to pete you could always go and do some of the dancing that he does on Instagram and things like that if you want to, you know, sort of step into Pete's shoes a little bit. Um, I'm very well, thank you, and good to have you on the podcast. Obviously, we hear you regularly doing uh, interviews with our amazing guests, but I thought uh, it would be great to get sort of an overview, really, of, of where Constructive Voices is as we head into the autumn months. I mean, it's been a really interesting focus on biodiversity, but we're talking about lots of things as we always do. So how do you see the the months ahead unfolding, Jackie? I have to say I'm really excited, Steve, because the evolution this year has been quite spectacular, um, perhaps slightly unexpected because of what's happening in the world, obviously, that everybody's aware of with the the need for biodiversity to be such a, a massive cause, obviously linked in with, with climate change. And we started off, as you'll remember, in January we did at the end of January, a round table around biodiversity within the built environment. And because the built environment is so responsible for, you know, both uh, emissions and lack of biodiversity, bringing down areas that have beautiful biodiversity for the sake of developments and so on, we feel that we're in an amazing position at this time to start to embrace some of those challenges. So, for example, we're working on the training that will be released sometime during September, which is called Beyond Biodiversity Net Gain. And this has been inspired by the law that comes into force fully in England in November of this year. But the reality is that we're, we're very, very convinced that we'll be an inspiration to people in, you know, in, in neighboring countries and hopefully eventually around the world because we have such an amazing lineup of guests and that was discussed in a fair bit of detail in episode 12 of series two uh, which was myself speaking to Claire Wansbury and yourself Steve obviously doing the normal fantastic work you do so it's been a massive evolution and now Emma Nicholson Emma as you'll remember obviously has been involved with us previously has been interviewed previously and has been a great supporter of constructive voices in various ways So it's been a kind of a natural evolution that Emma would become a a little bit involved. For those of you who don't know her, she's an award-winning chartered construction manager and chartered environmentalist with more than 23 years consultancy experience in the built environment, as well as infrastructure. She has an amazing network of people around her. And she's just a person who's, you know, very supportive of all sorts of people within the in the related built environment industries. She's very um, a very strong champion for sustainability. And she will talk to another wonderful woman who's an engineer called Cash Draper. Now, that will be the first Focus on Female interviews that we will be doing 
from here on in. So you'll 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 notice every once in a while that there's going to be. Sometimes we'll have a couple of them on the same month. Sometimes it'll be you know we'll, we won't do one for a month or so. But it's something that we've been aware of, particularly with me as a female producer, that we have not focused on females as much as we would have liked to, Steve. Yeah, and I mean when we have had female guests on. You know, we've had some great insights and and a different perspective. I think, you know, as much as men and women very often have similar views of what needs to be done with climate change and biodiversity and the other big challenges in the world, there's always going to be differences. There's going to be different ways of looking at things and different approaches, different solutions. And I think that's what is so wonderful. And, and very often the, the women that we've had on Constructive Voices on many different topics, but particularly on this one, they have a way of really highlighting just how important these issues are. And, you know, I always find it fascinating to get that that other perspective. I think it is, but of course I'm biased. I am a woman. <laughs> but I think one of the things that co- comes across very strongly in this interview, so it's very important to mention, is Kat Draper is also... Um, a great champion of diversity in general. So let's not, you know, go down the rabbit hole of like now we're suddenly just talking a little bit too much about females, but she's a great champion, as many other people are as well, of diversity within the industry and in general in her life. So she's an excellent, very precise speaker and lots of great insights in the interview. And I'm delighted that she's like, if you like, the she's going to be that champagne bottle that we, you know, bash off the side of the boat (laughs) to start (laughs) off this series of interviews because she's a wonderful example. And of course, of course, between herself and Emma, you know, they they are focusing a lot on the career uh, of being a female engineer and what kind of inspiration she's had like along her career, how she would like to inspire obviously others and her work. And we talk, of course, about like the likes of biodiversity, sustainability. So it's an interview that's really packed full, full, I think, of many interesting insights for the audience. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I think it's it's a really important thing that uh, we, we talk obviously about biodiversity, but also we talk about that career path because there, there has been forever a, a real issue with getting uh, women and, and girls when they're at school enthused about careers in science, careers in engineering, careers in construction in particular, and to give some inspiration on that and to give some examples of people who are really, really doing it in a big way and have had a fantastic career and continue to move the goalposts. I think that's a really important thing. I 100% agree with you, Steve. And without like giving the plot away, because we don't want to do that, but that one of the things that I think is also inspirational about Kat is she has been involved in a project that is in uh, another country, not the UK, and that is giving back to the community. So she did that as part of the company that she's with. I will let her reveal that. But again, I think that's a very important in terms of like younger women looking to mentors. I think that's a very important ingredient as well that not only has she got these amazing qualifications and career paths to date, but she's also somebody who appreciates the giving back is super important. Excellent. Well, look, Jackie, it's been uh, great catching up with you and uh, talk again soon. You too, Steve. Fantastic to talk to you. Thanks, Jackie. Well, let's hand over to Kat Draper in a moment, who will introduce herself and tell us more about her career journey. And our guest interviewer for these Focus on Female episodes 
Emma Nicholson. Thank you very much and really appreciate this opportunity. It's, it's, it's going to be fantastic to hear from female engineers such as Kat Draper. So um, in order to introduce myself, just to say briefly, I am a chair currently for the Women's Engineering Society EDI Specialist Interest Group, and I've previously been a board trustee uh, with the Women's Engineering Society as well. In terms of my background, um, I'm currently a, a Principal Sustainability Project Manager for a national consultancy and have over 25 years experience in the industry and have worked in um, project management and also sustainability and as well as being a chartered environmentalist. Hi everyone, so I'm Kat Draper. I'm a Principal Civil Engineer um, working at Mott McDonald. Um, I've worked within the construction industry, specifically highways, uh, for more than 15 years. Um, and my most recent role is um, as design manager on um, a few different highway schemes. Okay, Kat, first of all, I just want to say um, you've had a really successful and exciting career. Why did you pursue engineering as a career in the first place? And what motivated you? Yeah, so um, I guess my strengths have always been maths and science. And additionally, they're my interests. And I, I think a common trait for engineers is problem solving. So engineering seemed like a common um, fit really to do something that would apply that maths and science but also introduce problems that needed solving in a day-to-day -day environment so I specialized in civil engineering which looks at infrastructure projects um, finding solutions to problems so they quite often work with water schemes or roads or rail and I've specialized in highways. What's been your career journey like so far? So I took a fairly typical route I studied maths and physics um, at A level and then went to university and did a master's degree in civil engineering. Having done a master's, um, I would have been eligible to complete that on-the-job learning to become a chartered engineer. But for various reasons, I actually took a slight detour um, over the 15 years and did incorporated status first um, and then later became chartered a few years later. Just wondering as well, in terms of any particular skills that you believe are really important to becoming an engineer? Yes, yeah, so I think a lot of people will assume that you need to have some kind of academic strength, perhaps in maths and science, uh, which is obviously true to a degree. But I think the key strength is determination and passion. If you're determined and passionate to become an engineer, you can become an engineer. There's all sorts of routes through apprenticeships um, and on the job learning. That means you don't have to go to university. You don't have to sort of be amazing at maths. You can learn that and apply it on the job as you go. So yeah, I think the two main key things I'd say is determination and, and passion. Oh, that's good to know. Um, and also, what's the most interesting engineering project that you've completed to date? So I've recently just returned from Rwanda. Um, I was involved oh, wow. in um, a trip over there with um, as part of a team of 10. And we built a bridge to a community. It's quite a rural, isolated community that during their wet season, they get cut off. Um, so they can't access their healthcare. The kids can't get to school um, and then they can't sell their goods at market. So we went in as part of supporting a charity, built this 77 metre long bridge, um, which will allow that community to have year round access to all those facilities. And just seeing that direct impact, having it opened whilst we were there has just been really, really great. One of the projects I worked on um, is the A428 Black Cat to Caxton Gibbet up near Cambridge. That went in for um, planning permission to the planning inspector in February 2021. And obviously it takes um, a couple of years to go through that whole process. But as part of the DCO consenting process, the planning inspector introduced a new requirement 
onto the project, which was that there was to be a no net loss of priority habitat. I think it was one of the first times that they've used a requirement in that way. Um, And like you say, that kind of stipulation is going to be rolled in in terms of a 10% BNG score. But as a consequence, that particular road scheme had to consider um, in more depth than perhaps historically, what was its impact to the biodiversity in that region. So I think that change is, is happening. And then obviously, going forward, it's going to happen more with this new legislation. I do think it's going to lead to positive change. So I do think there will be greater usage of things like nature basins, integrating the landscape design with your drainage solutions, increasing the use of suds. All of that will just drive a much greater consideration of the scheme as a whole rather than just will this road allow someone to go from A to B quicker? What's the actual consequence of the scheme and can we make it a benefit to the environment? You know, we, ha- we are in this situation where BNG, nature, carbon, climate, they're all interlinked and you can't fix one in isolation. It's going to be an all-in kind of solution. We've just seen those extremes in the climate like we've never, never seen before. And we've reached, well, we're beyond the crunch point, let's be honest. But um, we're at a point where we can still try to make change. So I think part of finding those solutions, solutions is just ensuring and recognising that we do need a diverse workforce to offer those diverse answers and find those solutions. I'd like to think that in, well, certainly 10 years, in a year, we'd have uh, more recognition and more ability to make positive change within schemes. Yeah, definitely. What's the biggest challenge that you've ever faced as an engineer? So I guess on a personal level, it's, um, it would have been taking time out and then returning from maternity leave, trying to recognise you've had this gap of time out of an industry and you come and step back in, change obviously does happen. And obviously you've then got conflicting considerations and factors on your own time that you didn't have before, you know. So yeah, that was definitely a challenge to try and reassess all your priorities and then manage those and then try and get your head around what's changed in the industry over the last sort of 10 months um, and how do you fit back in to that bigger picture. What do you particularly enjoy about the engineering field? What what really inspires you the most? Um, I think just because every day is different. You know, I've worked in highways projects um, and you might think that every highway project is going to be the same. And there's aspects which are the same, but every little aspect is then slightly different um, or you get new problems that you have to face. And that kind of variance just really keeps the area and the engineering field interesting. And then in terms of inspiration, just that variance just keeps you thinking about what's going to happen next. Um, and all these changes of things like, um, you know, your BNG targets and your consideration of carbon, they're all new factors that just always create that need to change and upskill and just continue development. You're a woman who's been in the industry um, quite some time. How have you found it working in the field of engineering? Yeah, I think um, largely it's been quite positive. Um, I think we can all recognise that there are barriers for women in the workplace, especially in engineering. And I think that's partly because, you know, the world as we know it has largely been developed by men and they don't have sight of things that women experience Then they're not women. So they just don't get that visibility. So it's not their problem to solve because they haven't seen it so they just need that support to make sure that they can have it made visible to them so i um recently read an article that was titled the eco gender gap why saving the planet is women's work which sounds like an odd kind of title given obviously we all live on the same planet but what was interesting about it was it, it um sort of identified why women to some extent have a 
bigger consumer base that they can drive change. So it's often women who are still disproportionately responsible for the domestic duties. But it does mean that they, you know, they source all the goods within a house, perhaps the food, the cleaning um, materials and things like that. So they have greater consumer sway about what products can be purchased, even, you know, for example, the carbon footprint of your food coming into the house. So that's something where women can really drive some positive change. And then within the sort of wider sphere, that kind of knowledge, I guess, can be applied to those infrastructure projects and they can be more considerate to where are materials on site being sourced? Where's the work pool and resource group coming? Are they are they local? Are they going to be traveling a long way? Will they be flying in? Because obviously that's going to um, be detrimental to things like the carbon um, emissions and things. And additionally, women, whether by nature um, or nurture, tend to be more empathetic towards others um, and supportive and look to develop others. So they're more likely to challenge themselves and then the knock-on challenge others to actually think about the environment in a positive way um, and actually drive that change. There's a shortage of females in the engineering profession. And do you think this is concerning? Um, um, What more um, do you think could be done to attract women in the industry? Yeah, so I do think it is concerning. Um, I think there's around 12% of engineers that are female, which doesn't reflect the wider world. The wider world is roughly 50-50 men, women split. Um, So I think in any industry, if you've not got that reflection in your workforce, you're going to end up with a skewed view, which means that you will have blinkers to certain areas. Um, You won't be getting the best solutions. Women can play a really important part in changing um, the engineering world. Diversity in thought and experience enables diverse solutions. Um, And the best teams will always have diversity. You, You can have um, different skill sets, different emotions, different personalities, and that will just provide resilience and balance to any team. And then in terms of attracting more women, um, I think there's a couple of different factors that are at play there. So I think at first you need to try and prevent the bias and discrimination that can happen. Um, so I think statistics show that discrimination and bias starts becoming um, kind of recognised from around age six, which is obviously really young. <laughs> So to get in there quick is obviously a key aspect. You know, six-year-olds there at infant school, um, a lot of engineering um, outreach is probably to secondary school to try and get them into the world of engineering as a career, Um, not necessarily to the infant schools where they're trying to paint that positive picture of not having that bias um, integrated at that point. And then the second, I guess, is just making sure we actually support women that are in the workforce. Research from the Royal Academy of Engineering says that 57% of female engineers drop off the register of professional engineers before the age of 45, compared with 17% of men. And that's obviously a massive difference. Um, So there must be a reason as to why that happens. And obviously, I don't know the reasons. (laughs) Um, But I suspect a lot of them are linked to things like caring um, for younger ones, caring for older ones, all the additional pressure on women, things like menopause any bias that is within the workplace, you know, they all create these um, reasons for them to consider um, leaving and and, or having to leave. So that means that we need advocates in the workplace that can um, stand up and say, you know, I acknowledge that there's a problem here and we have challenges and we need to make change. Um, And if, for example, that advocate sat in a room 
they look around and it's all white middle-aged men challenge themselves and say we need someone else in here we need different insights we need new perspectives let's get them in this room and and see what their views are yeah yeah absolutely is there a particular male or female in the engineering industry that's inspired you to date and what was it about them or a project that they worked on that particularly impressed you Yeah, so in my own personal experience, there's been a number of people that have supported me and aided development. But I guess on a much wider scale, Marissa Mayer um, from Google has been someone that um, has persevered and and dedicated her career to the development of others as well. She's one of the first employees at Google. She had a very successful time in Google. But whilst there, um, she started a mentor initiative, um, which has gone on to train and develop a number of other successful people. And I think that recognition that you should mentor others to to support them and develop them has just been something that's um, really inspired me. You're a member of the Women's Engineering EDI Specialist Interest Group, like myself. What area of diversity inclusion interests you and what difference would you like to see in the industry? Um, Yeah, there's a number of subsets, I guess, for topics that women face within the workplace and challenges. Um, You know, you've got things from motherhood to menopause to gender pay um, and gender pay gap and things. Um, But obviously, it's not only women that do face bias and discrimination in the workplace, whether deliberate or unconscious. You know, we've got people of different races, ethnicities, religions, um, neurodiversity, sexual orientations. They can all be subject to those sort of unconscious bias as well. In recent years, been a really positive focus on neurodiversity. Um, and making that more visible and recognising that people are diverse in an, in a neuro way. Everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses and someone may not be best at communication in, in a big room of people. You know, they might find that very uncomfortable and they might struggle with the loud noises and things around. But if, if they can get their head down and they're absolutely fantastic at um, solving calculations and can, you know, give you your bridge calculations in an hour when it might take someone else four. That's a strength, isn't it, that you want to utilise within a team. Um, there's no point forcing them to have that detrimental sort of social interactions if that's not their strength. And I think that's something that can be supported in the workplace. You know, there's recognition that perhaps you need quiet areas. Um, Some people do need to work in a room on their own to focus. Others are happy in an open office environment and that's that's not a problem. But just acknowledging that there is that variance just means we get the best out of people. So I think that's an area that has started to improve in the industry. And I think seeing that change demonstrates how the acknowledgement of an issue can drive that change. So seeing that continue to change over the next few years, I think, it will be really interesting. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something.